Pharisees are always trying to trap Jesus. Always trying to trap Jesus. And his, his response, the gospel that we heard just now, is, is a response to one of their, the traps that they lay for him. They came to him and said, uh, so where do you get your authority from? Where does it come from? Where do you get the authority to say the things you're saying, to do the things you're doing? And, and instead of, of falling into their trap and giving them an, an explicit reason to, to arrest him or to kill him right there, because his mission is not yet complete, he says, I'll tell you if you answer one of my questions. He says, John the Baptist, his preaching, was it from heaven or was it of man? And they started thinking, they said, if we say it's from heaven, then he's going to ask us, how come we didn't listen to him? And if we say and he's from man, the people might stone us because everybody except us thinks he was a prophet. And so right after that exchange, Jesus goes into this parable. And it's, it's something for us to, to really look at because we too are, are faced with numerous traps throughout our journey towards eternal life, our walk with Christ. I want to refer to one of St. <clears throat> John Paul II's encyclicals that he wrote called Veritatis Splendor. Just briefly, the very introduction of it, he, he kind of hints at, at these traps that lay before us as a Christian people. And this is a document that was written in the early 90s, but it's something that, that still carries great weight and significance today because I would say the landscape in which John Paul was, was examining and looking at and responding to in, in his encyclical has is, is gotten worse. It's gotten worse in the sense of, of the traps that are there for us to fall into. In particular, traps with regard to the moral life. And we see that that's kind of the essence there of the gospel. that doing the Father's will, being obedient to what the Father asks. And it was something that, that Ezekiel, again, was, was speaking to the people about. That there was this confusion that the Lord had Ezekiel speak to. You know, about if the virtuous man turns to sin, then he will die because of his sin. His virtuous deeds will be forgotten. And if the sinner turns from his wickedness and repents, then he will live. The Israelites at that time were, were, had, had fallen into a trap of believing that, that I would be punished for my dad's sins, for my grandfather's sins, that I would be held responsible, I would be looked upon as guilty for his sins. And the Lord was clarifying that saying, no, that is not true. But every man will answer for his own sins. Every woman will answer for her own sins and likewise for their good deeds. That's the, a fundamental principle of, of, of Catholic morality, of Christian morality. It's rooted in, in, in our nature. And so I say that because I... John Paul II recognized that this was something that was beginning to be jettisoned. And not, not simply just on an individual basis, but that it was something that was being taught. 
He says this, in this document, Veritati Splendor, that means the splendor of the truth. The truth is beautiful, splendid. And it was, it was basically just, just getting at fundamental principles of Catholic morality. He wasn't going into the nitpicky stuff, just fundamental principles from which the rest of Catholic moral theology is built upon. And in the introduction, he says this, in fact, a new situation has come about within the Christian community itself. So not outside of the Christian community. Inside the community itself, which has experienced the spread of numerous doubts and objections of a human and psychological, social and cultural, religious and even properly theological nature with regard to the church's moral teachings. And there's a lot there. He's just saying that there's a lot of doubt being thrown upon the church's moral teachings and a lot of confusion. It is no longer a matter of limited and occasional dissent, but an overall and systematic calling into question of traditional moral doctrine. Meaning that at one point, and for the majority of the church's existence, the sons and daughters of the church recognized that the church was mother, and that what Jesus said in the gospel, when he spoke to the apostles as, as the new, the first bishops of the church, that whoever hears you hears me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, that the church and Christ are one. And so when the church teaches, she does so not as an oppressor, not as a tyrant, but as a mother, and is the, the voice of Jesus. What a great gift. That even though we did not live in Jesus' time, we still benefit from his teaching. He still guides us through the voice, the teaching office of the church, the Pope and the bishops in union with him. That was something that was, that was believed and held fast to for centuries. And John Paul, St. John Paul, is saying that, that that has ceased to be the case. And again, in, in its widespread, it's systematic that there is no longer this trust in the gift of the church. But now every, not everyone, but a lot are, are being taught to look at the church through the lens of skepticism. That the church is the bad guy. The church just wants my money. The church just wants to keep me under its thumb. And has ceased to see the church as the gift that she is, as a mother, as the bride of Christ who is one with him and shares his word with us. St. John Paul II goes on to say, in particular, the question is asked today, do the commandments of God, which are written on the human heart and are part of the covenant, really have the capacity to clarify the decisions of individuals and entire societies? Do the commandments really help me to know what I should do and what I shouldn't do as an individual, as a family, as a community, as a society? Is it possible to obey God and thus love God and neighbor without respecting these commandments in all circumstances? There's a trap that he saw, that that was something that was being taught, that you can love God without obeying him. Also, an opinion is frequently heard which questions the intrinsic and unspeakable bond between faith and morality 
as if membership in the church and her internal unity were to be decided on the basis of faith alone, while in the sphere of morality, a pluralism of opinions and of kinds of behavior could be tolerated, these being left to the judgment of the individual subjective conscience or to the diversity of social and cultural contexts. And this is big. The separation of faith and morality. And this ultimately gets at, at kind of the image of the gospel today. The opinion that membership in the church is based off of faith alone. I profess the creed. I come to church on Sunday. I pray. But I disobey all the commandments. I love God. And I love my neighbor. It's a trap that we can fall into. We can be sitting right here and actually not be a member of the church because of our sin. That which, that's what St. John Paul II is saying about it. About that lie, that trap. That my actions, the way that I adhere to the will of God, my obedience to the truth that He has communicated to me through the natural law, through the Ten Commandments, which is the natural law written down, and through the teachings of His church, through the voice of the magisterium. that I don't have to do that. And that is the second son who says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I believe. But then he doesn't obey the father's request. He's in the father's house. He's the son. But he's disobedient. And that's the trap thing that we can all fall into. And, and believing, again, this, this is rampant right now, way more than, than in St. John Paul II's day. The morality is left up to me. I get to decide that. I decide what's good and what's evil, and nobody can tell me anything. And again, this is a fruit of looking at the church as the tyrant. And part of that has been assisted, given by the weakness by the scandal, by the brokenness, and, and by the, the just blatant wickedness of the ministers and the leaders of the church. That is true. It makes it harder to not, to not be scandalized and to not, to not trust fully. But on the flip side of that, the other side of that coin, looking at the scandal that has been caused, the way that the ministers, the leaders of the church, the shepherds of the flock have themselves not adhered to God's will, have been disobedient and abused the power and the authority given to them. The fact that the church still standing and is still alive is a testament to the fact that it's not simply a human institution that is enlivened and guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's Jesus' promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Because he will be with her all days, even to the end of the age. And so today, the Lord calls us to examine our hearts. 
Where do we stand when it comes to obedience to the truth and the moral life? Do I pick and choose the things that I'm going to be obedient to? Do I say that no, everybody else is doing it. It's even legal to do some of this stuff. And so eh, the church just needs to catch up. Do I say that or do I say no? This is what the Lord has asked. And it doesn't matter how many people do it. If it's wrong, it doesn't make it right. And it doesn't matter if it's enshrined in the laws of our country. It doesn't make it right. And so we examine our hearts, our lives, and we look to Jesus with great confidence. That Christological hymn, the second reading there from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, talking about Christ emptying Himself, taking on the form of a slave. He was human. And He became obedient even to the point of death. He became obedient so that we could share in that grace that even though it may be hard sometimes, it may be really difficult to go against the grain, that His grace is sufficient and He has won that for us so that in the struggle, His mercy is not simply a matter of like wiping it away, but strengthening us, that we are actually changed, we are actually transformed through each act of the will that we make, especially the difficult ones, especially the difficult ones. So as last week, I closed with a couple of quotes from St. St. Faustina's diary, where Jesus has spoken to her about the gift of His mercy. So we remember that. The, his, his mercy is foolish. It is so great from a simply human perspective. That He will stop at nothing and He never tires of forgiving if we come. But He wants that forgiveness, that mercy to take root in our hearts, to change us, to spur us on, to fight more and more, to be obedient. And so, again, the sacrament of confession. And then I'll go back to a portion of one of the quotes from last week where Jesus said, before I come, before I come as a king of justice, I come as king of mercy. He wants to heal. He wants to forgive. He does not desire that we suffer the just consequences of our mistakes. He wants to forgive those. But He said, whoever does not enter through the door of My mercy will have to enter through the door of My justice. And so we hold the polar opposites, if you will, together to give us the full picture and even to give, to give power to the message of the Gospel. Kind of like an electricity, right? You've got to have a positive and a negative to have power. The positive, the, great, the greatness of His mercy is infinite. The negative is that He doesn't force it upon us. 
and that he has laid out rules for our relationship with him and they are not meant to oppress, they're meant, they're meant to set us free and help us to draw deeper into that relationship. But he can't force us. And so the negative is what the readings have said today, that if we do not repent and turn from our ways, then we will have to walk through the door of his justice. We pray for the grace to turn towards the Lord with confidence, to look at the teachings that he has given us, both in divine revelation and through the teaching office of the church, with great confidence, not with skepticism, and to run, to run, to abandon ourselves to his mercy with repentant hearts, trusting that just as Christ was raised up, just as Christ was set free from the bonds of death, we too will be, we too will be 